Drugs. Rights. Quality of life. Recovery. Harm reduction. Advocacy. Policy. Treatment. Stigma. Drugs Uncut. The Scottish Drugs Forum Podcast. Hi there and welcome to Drugs Uncut, an informal yet informed space for conversation around drug-related issues in Scotland. My name is Andy Coffey, um, Communications Officer here at Scottish Drugs Forum, and I'm joined by my colleagues Kirsten Horsburgh, Austin Smith, and also another one of our SDF colleagues, Sophie Given. Uh, so welcome along uh, this afternoon. It's a beautiful, beautiful day, as it has been for so long in Scotland. How's everyone getting on today? Fine, just enjoying the sun from inside my house. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you Kirsten? Yeah, all good, thanks. Perfect. And Sophie, this is your first time as well coming along on the uh, on the SDF podcast. How are you today? I'm great. I'm happy to be podcasting from my bedroom. Ah, yes. Well, <laughs> actually, this is actually what I wanted to kind of bring up, you know? Like, where is everyone broadcasting from? Obviously, from your own uh, isolated households. But uh, what, what room are you in? Just explain it. Get, just paint the scene for the, for, the, for the listeners. Well, so I'm, I'm in my kitchen. I'm... But the the issue that I have is this is where I get the best signal for doing this, but it's also right next to the puppy's cage. So I've just had to try and negotiate with him for the next half an hour that he's quiet. So for the moment, we're doing okay. So far, so far. We've put him to sleep already. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Austin? Where, where are you broadcasting from? Uh, well, I'm in a, a corner uh, which doesn't really have a, a name, uh, but it's on the way through to your kitchen. Um, and this is a, the table at which my children used to be forced to do their homework. Uh, and so rather ironically, I am now forced to work at it every day. But I'm actually enjoying lockdown uh, from a work point of view in the sense that I've, uh, your commute is far shorter and uh, you don't have to put up with buses and all the rest of it. It's just, it suits me fine, thanks very much. <laughs> well, I am in the spare bedroom and I've got uh, the pictures on the wall. I've got is a framed picture of High Fidelity, the film of John Cusack, and I've got Almost Famous. So two film pictures on the wall. What about you, Sophie? Where are you from? Uh, well, I'm, as I said, sitting in my bedroom, actually on my bed, but you can't see that. <laughs> comfy, um, me, comfy. That's yeah, it, all about comfort. Me and my self-isolation partner have to fight over the one desk in the house and... There's only two rooms in my house, and uh, I've got the short straw, and I'm on the bed today. So. Oh well, comfort, comfort's key. Comfort's key. So Sophie, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us a little bit about your, um, about who you are, and also your role uh, at SDF. Okay, so I'm the National Training and Development Officer for Harm Reduction and Emergency Response. A shame SDF couldn't come up with a shorter name for that one. <laughs> Um, I joined SDF about 18 months ago after completing my master's um, in global health uh, where I did some research looking at bacterial infections amongst females who inject drugs in Fife and I've from then been fairly passionate about reducing harm reduction amongst people who use drugs, doing some practical things, addressing issues around injecting equipment provision uh, and wound care and outbreaks and uh, the recent COVID outbreaks kind of brought all those three things together and we've set about doing some um, practical tasks to try and minimise the harm during this time. So obviously you are normally used to outbreaks on a bit of a smaller scale, uh, national-wide obviously, but this is this is a bit, bit different I imagine. Yeah, it's completely different um, as well as it being 
much more widespread and national. It's also a, a virus, so it's a bit different from what I normally do in terms of bacterial infections. Um, but what's interesting about it is we've got the issues that are affecting people because of the, the coronavirus, but are also going to have an effect in terms of bacterial infection issues that might occur as well. And the ones that I normally deal with are in a specific area, whether that be Lothian or Glasgow or, or further afield, and this one's affecting everybody all over the Scot all, all over Scotland, so it's trying to manage things on a wider scale. Cool. And uh, so in our last episode, we had uh, Dave Little, our CEO, on, and he was talking through about some of the responses that SDF has had to um, to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and in it, he mentioned, obviously, the, the, the contingency, uh, the guidelines on contingency planning for services. And we, we discussed through that. And, and also we discussed some of the other challenges that have come up. And uh, a few of them, you've actually been involved, not the challenges, obviously, but the response to the challenge uh, you've been involved with, such as uh, services, uh, service reductions, and also pharmacy uh, potential service reductions. So, uh, so can you tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing on that? Yeah, so from when we started looking at the contingency plan and right at the start, which seems a while ago now, uh, we started to establish that there was going to be massive changes in terms of service uh, disruption to people who use drugs, and that could range from IEP equipment to treatment um, to wound care, and that all these services were going to be updating these changes regularly, but how could we keep up to date with these changes, informing other services, informing sort of the bigger picture in terms of looking nationally at the strategy around this, but then also just inform people on the ground who use the services. We then started to hear that um, Scottish families affected by drugs and alcohol, and we are with you, were kind of identifying the same issue that all these changes were happening and people were phoning in and trying to get information and how to keep up to date with this information. So the best solution to that was to think how we could get a national picture of this. Um, but again, that provided some challenges in that how could we get hundreds and hundreds of services to update into one sort of spreadsheet or one piece of information that we could share weekly. So it's been a mammoth task. It's hopefully going to be useful for everybody in Scotland who um, needs to access this information uh, and we're going to display that information in, a, in the style of a sort of map. So it'll be a Google Maps link and people can click on the link and every week on a Wednesday information and throughout Scotland will be updated onto this map, which will tell you about closures, um, changes in services or any particular bits of information that would be relevant to that service. And um, and so and obviously you mentioned there about um, SDF has been involved in this, uh, We Are With You and Scottish Families uh, Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. But all, but it's kind of snowballed from there since then, hasn't it? And and, and now there's there's quite a, quite a few people that are contributing to kind of cast the net wide. Yeah, so we were, I suppose, the, the first initial party of heads thinking on how we could do this huge task. Uh, but from that, we then decided, well, we are some organisations, but there's so many out there. So in terms of distributing this information and being able to get uh, the most up-to-date information, we've sent this spreadsheet and, and this big document that has all the, the, the these updates on it to a variety of services throughout Scotland, including um, all the pharmacy leads. We've got Turning Point. Uh, we are with you, I've already said, so I don't say that one again. Um, Salvation Army. I'm just trying to think who's all in that group now. Come, Come back. back to me. On it's, that. it's it's a wide net anyway. <laughs> I, I I've seen I've seen the, the list of contributors and and we've also looked at the um the initial spreadsheets. Obviously, there's a spreadsheet which is for everybody. Um, it's an interactive spreadsheet for everybody uh, to contribute who who who's able to, and then 
that's been kind of as you mentioned they're packaged in a, in a more user-friendly way for people to access online via the via the maps system yeah that's correct uh, and and probably the biggest challenge is that we have loads of community farm community pharmacies throughout scotland that are providing iep services and some other services and these pharmacies are really busy at the moment so getting the pharmacies to update this information has probably been one of the biggest challenges and we've been relying on a lot of different people to help out with this whether that be organizations in that locality calling up and finding out or some of them have actually been dropping in and just trying to find out what the opening hours are or what the situation is so the community pharmacy network's one that's really been difficult to try and reach but um everyone that's helped has been great and there's only a few gaps in that in that whole database now that we've created so Sophie, we heard from Dave in our previous podcast about some of the challenges with reduced hours at um pharmacies and, and you know queues from pharmacies and that causing lots of problems and we were talking about um the difficulties because people won't access IEP if they're having to wait in a queue. Um and that potentially might lead to more sharing of injecting equipment and whatnot. So I just wondered if you were noticing any trends with some of that data that you're collecting nationally and what have been some of the um, ideas to try and get around some of these challenges. Yeah, so I think exactly what you've said, Kirsten, has been some of the challenges. But um, the, the other ones that have been kind of popping up throughout the, the spreadsheet is that there's this group of people that are shielding and self-isolating as well as, as having issues accessing equipment in pharmacies. And so uh, a few services throughout Scotland, um, to name a few, uh, ADA, We Are With You, uh, NHS Tayside have, uh, have been thinking about a sort of out-the-box way and they've, they've been looking at postal IEP. Um, and this is this is great news to, to myself and to, to everybody in the harm reduction world because we've actually been speaking about postal IEP for well over 10 years now and, and for 10 years it's been in the injecting equipment provision guidelines and so in all this doom and gloom I think it's really good at, to, to point out that there is a positive um, that's come out of the harm reduction sort of side of things at this moment in time and that people are looking at innovative ways to try and reach populations that are not easy to reach and they're, they're trialing things that they haven't done before and postal IEP is one of them and it's great because Scotland being as rural as it is, even once COVID's over um, and life starts to return to normal, we'll be able to use postal IEP to reach those areas that don't have a good pharmacy provision throughout Scotland, which is uh, quite common in a lot of areas. So can you tell us a bit about exactly how the postal IEP system would work? Yeah, so different areas are setting it up differently and in and, and a few weeks we're actually going to try and uh, highlight how good this is and doing a, a separate news piece um, through SDF. But taking, taking a, a few of the examples, one way is that you fill out an online form and you request it that way. The other way will be almost like an app that people are starting to think about. There's other thoughts about directly getting um, equipment through the supplier that makes the equipment and getting it sent to them. Uh, or people just calling up saying, you know what, I'm shielding, I'm, I'm unable to come and get IEP, can you just send it to me? And these that type of model isn't maybe the one that's been written about in the spreadsheet, but we've heard sort of reports of people just calling up a service and saying, I can't get what I need, can you send it to me? And that happening. And, and that's a form just as, as important as these uh, more techno- technologically advanced methods of using an app or using a web page and um, just just as long as people are given consent to give their their address then people can send the equipment to them and will people be able to access all of the equipment that they could have if they'd gone to a fixed site yeah um 
I don't know enough about it yet to say what's all been going out and Neo needs to start recording that maybe in a separate so that the recording database Neo that people put the injecting equipment provision that they're giving out on onto uh, we don't have a, a sort of tab that says what is going out as postal IP so it'd be difficult to see what is going out specifically but my fear would be that uh, the one thing that might get missed out is um, bins because they can be quite bulky so we maybe need to look at that and then we also need to think about it's all great going out but how do we get the returns back from a postal IEP service so bins are really important but are they going out so it's something that we need to look at uh, in the future but at least that it's starting right now gives us a way of looking at that and the other thing that you'd been potentially looking at through a postal service was the provision of wound care equipment is that right yeah that is right so <laughs> this is a completely separate issue that we've been looking at and something that I've been looking at for a while and that wound care throughout Scotland before the coronavirus um, pandemic w- was something that needed to be addressed because we know that one third of people who inject drugs um, experience a, a, a bacterial infection caused by a wound every year and one in 10 of them require a hospital admission. Yet we don't have very many fixed wound care sites for people who use drugs to access without appointments. We know there's only a few dotted around the country. So how can we uh, encourage people to look after their wounds and keep them clean and prevent them turning into a nasty infection? So we've created a few resources this year. One of them being we're working on a wound care e-learning. Another one was we created this hygiene booklet that um, documented how people can watch out for infection by drawing a circle around their wound and watching if the redness spreads or if it, it doesn't and what to do if that happens. And then also just the basic message of keeping your wounds covered um, is really useful in preventing an infection to get worse. So in the coronavirus outbreak, we have sort of identified that people's access to even the most basic sort of wound care treatment might be reduced. And to tackle this, we're looking at ways to overcome that. And one suggestion has been sending out basic dressings, and they're called me pores or premier pores, um, with people's IEP equipment. And we're hoping to try to get this up and running in the next few weeks. And that will just send people three dressings every time they do a postal IEP service, along with a little card that talks about the things I've just mentioned about preventing infection monitor infection and how to keep your wound covered and when you should change your dressing. And uh, Sophie, if anyone wanted to get hold of um, the bacterial infection um, booklet that you're, you're describing there, how would, how would they go about doing that? So Andy, the best way to go about doing that is either to email myself at sophieg.sdf.org.uk or I'm hoping that Andy's soon putting on a <laughs> PDF version onto the website, um, which will be on the coronavirus page as well. Uh, absolutely absolutely it will be <laughs> yeah and that'll be able to be just printed um because we've had so many requests uh for this booklet since coronavirus and, and i think that's because people have been looking at it and seeing that it might be a bacterial infection booklet but all the messages inside are transferable in, in, in this scenario as well in terms of general hygiene and, and preventing further infection and spreading infection so people have been contacting me and asking for this book and we've sent out um i've sent out a thousand last week um of the booklets and did a few thousand a few weeks ago and they've also had requests on how we can access it and they've been asking for a printed version so that is coming very shortly. It is indeed a poster, a poster version of it. Um, and also for some people who uh, who have been working in the drugs field for a little while they, they might recognise uh, some of the art that's on it. It's um, Michael Linnell uh, who is, uh, who's been involved in quite a few resources in the past. Uh, he's got very characteristic drawings so it's a very engaging um, and 
entertaining and inform informative resource as well. So yeah, definitely something to keep an eye out for. And that's available on the SDF website or as uh, as uh, Sophie says, just getting in touch with her directly. And there's also been another resource that you've been working on that's also um, been quite useful during COVID-19. Uh, and that's particularly to do with people who inject drugs as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, right at the start of uh, the coronavirus outbreak, we uh, started looking at all the sort of information that was available for people who use drugs um, we can't, that myself and a few other colleagues at SDF identified that the gap in, in giving out information was around specifically injecting information. And so we've pulled together just a, a few pointers on, on how to try and prevent the spread of infection, but also keeping yourself safe during this time. And they include just general harm reduction messages such as washing your hands, um, when to wash your hands, covering your nose uh, and mouth when, when you're coughing and sneezing, sneezing just like the, the general NHS information. Uh, but the specific things to that were about getting enough supply of IEP equipment to last you two weeks. And the other message that we felt was really important that if you couldn't get clean equipment, how you can clean your equipment. And that was a message that's went out previously um, quite a, uh, many years ago. But it was just to remind people about how to keep your equipment clean and how you can do that at home. Great. And that's been well received as well. Cause, uh, because as soon as it was published, it was sent out to all EDPs, sent out to all services. And uh, there was quite a few printed copies as well sent out to, uh, to places as well and they, they've been quite well received have they? Yeah we've given out about 10,000 leaflets so far and we've put the pdf version online on the covid page so people are able to access that and, and print that off and we've heard that that's spread out with Scotland and people are using that actually throughout the UK and not just in Scotland. Great. So yeah, once again, you can access all those resources uh, on the SDF website and uh, and on the homepage, there's a little button that says COVID-19 uh, or alternatively, you can just type in www.sdf.org.uk forward slash COVID-19 and that should take you there as well. There's there's multiple different um, areas. Uh, we call it an information hub because uh, there's advice for services, there's advice for uh, for people who use drugs, there's uh, other useful uh, resources and links. Um, and also what we're going to be putting on there is our webinars. Um, so SDF uh, is also hosting COVID-19 webinars. Um, the first one was based on uh, delivering OST and uh, contingency planning for pharmacies. And then also uh, we're going to be having the a section for the service updates that Sophie was discussing earlier. So basically, if you go to the SDF website, you'll be able to access all these different resources all on COVID-19, regardless of whether you're a service, uh, a person uh, who uses drugs, a uh, family, friends member, uh, or just an interested member of the public. In an effort to say something po positive in these uh, rather terrible times, I was just wondering, if uh, Sophie had any more examples or could expand on the notion that uh, we're doing things uh, perhaps that we've uh, been talking about doing for years and there's always been obstacles that have been removed by the nature of the crisis or to comment on how we maintain that uh, those improvements in service delivery and that kind of person-centred approach uh, once we're out the other side of this. Yeah, so I've heard a few different things, but one of the, the interesting things to me as well has been a click and collect service that I've heard We Are With You um, trialling and some other services where people will just be able to click what they would like and then come along and, and collect it. And I think in the future that be, could be quite good to prevent people having to queue for a while to get their stuff or um, just sort of maybe forming a routine. And, and having that as part of the routine. And do you know, Sophie, uh, and, if that's in Scotland as well? Because I know in Cornwall they're... They're, they're trialling that. Is that is that all across the country they're trialling it or is it just 
uh, just in that one area. Um, I believe that Fife are, are trying to get that up and running as well, um, and that might uh, might be something that we can check in with Andrew Horn and find out if that's happening nationally throughout Scotland or not. Um, but I've heard reports of people trying to set it up, and uh, like you have heard that it's, it's happening in trial and down south as well. Yeah, my understanding is it's going to be introduced across uh, Scottish services. And that shows sort of the innovation as well, and What's interesting about this click and collect and the postal IP is uh, I'm part of the, the guidelines group that's um, writing the new um, injecting equipment provision guidelines and we touch on postal IP but we don't touch on click and collect at all. Um, so it might be interesting to have this sort of fed back into that, that group that is a bit of good information and, and, a, and an example of what can be done and, and that has been implemented that's come out of the coronavirus situation. I know that it has been discussed in the past and I just wondered just when you mentioned the updated IEP guidelines there, has there been any discussion there about dispensing machines as well? As in, has there been discussion during coronavirus about dispensing machines? Uh, well, in general, yeah. I mean, it seems like an obvious yeah. uh, thing that would be helpful. Definitely. So uh, there has been quite a bit of discussion around dispensing machines, but there doesn't want to seem to be a lot of information put into the the guidelines about it and that's just because of how difficult it is to get someone to manufacture one of these machines where to place them and then actually you still require people to man that area anyway um at the i also chair the scottish needle exchange workers forum and at the last forum we talked about innovative injecting equipment provision and we actually had a daction we were a daction at the time here now we are with you and from lincolnshire come up and they're one of the first places in the uk to trial having a vending machine within a pharmacy and the reason that they did it was the pharmacy said we're happy to have this service here um, and provide IEP but we don't have the manpower so let's try work together and how the best solution that they had was that they they put a vending machine within the, the pharmacy itself and it worked really well there but there is plenty of issues that come around that about the cost of the machine the equipment needs to be made specifically to fit into the machine and um, other in this outbreak I've not heard of anybody thinking we should maybe trial that. And I think it's maybe just the huge cost that's uh, around purchasing the machines. No, I hadn't heard of it either. But, um, you know, I've seen some in other countries and they haven't been placed in within services. So they're standalone. They're, they're maybe placed outside the actual service where people are used to going. But then it's available in uh, sort of our circumstances. I just think it's something that we, we could really benefit from here as well. Yeah, and, and part of that research, that we, when we looked at that before, we looked at the crack pipe fending machines in, in Canada and how they're not necessarily inside a service and it's maybe something to look at in the future and if we all came together collectively and looked at how we could have these machines bought on a, a big bulk order to reduce the cost. But I, I, I don't know what the the public's opinion would be of having these vending machines in areas, but it is something again yeah well we can't even get um safe disposal units yeah. so well i think what you highlight a really good point in that um coronavirus has maybe made us start to think about things a bit differently and looking out with the box and although we maybe haven't thought about it um vending machines being something that we could put in within our society before maybe this is a, a catalyst to look at new ways and, and a vending machine could be one of them yeah, maybe when we all go back to work we'll find that the vending machines are in the middle of the city centre and uh, they've just quietly been put there during the outbreak <laughs> <laughs> by stealth and we'll just get used to them <laughs> 
And if anyone else is looking to uh, find out a bit more information about uh, the Scottish Needle Exchange Workers Forum or are actually that or actually that presentation that Ad Action Lincolnshire, I think it was, gave, um, those videos, uh, videos of those presentations are actually available on the SDF YouTube. Uh, so if you just visit our YouTube website, you'll be able to actually see that whole presentation, which which uh, explains a little bit about how the uh, vending machine works down there and, and, and how it operates. Yeah. Sophie, I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned a bit earlier um, about uh, people potentially being at higher risk of bacterial infections as well during this outbreak. I just wondered if you could talk a bit more about that and what some of the concerns are around in that. Yeah, so the major concerns for me is around uh, reuse of injecting equipment provision and if there's reuse, obviously we can have bacteria grow within the equipment itself but also the, the barbing of the needle when it becomes a bit blunt when it's been used a few times causes quite a bit of damage to the skin and the soft tissues and that creates the start of a wound forming. Um, so that's one, one way that we can look at the risk. And then the other thing is availability of, of... I know when I'm going to the supermarket, it's difficult right now to get hand gel, to get soap... Um, and so is pe- are people finding that difficult to maintain a good level of general um, hygiene? Uh, so that's, that's sort of another issue. And then the third issue for me is that access to, to care, uh, to health care. So we know that there's a few areas that would provide specific wound care treatment and advice for people who use drugs. But out with those specific areas, which there's only a few, people would tend to go to their GP or go to a and or call 111, but right now that's not that easy, especially if you're calling 111 and you're going to be in a queue for a long time. You're also being advised not to go A&E or being turned away, um, and your GPs may be closed, so people will maybe not be accessing uh, or getting the, the help or the advice they need for wounds if they do have a concern. So it's just about encouraging people to maybe look out for the signs and, and be a bit more knowledgeable on what to look out for before needing to seek help uh, around the time, and also how to minimise that by keeping their wounds clean and covered. Yeah, but there is, I mean, for the general public, there seems to be concerning uh, signs about people not attending their GP when they could and a when they could. So I know there are these stories, but I mean, we, we sh- should be emphasising to people and workers should opportunistically be reminding people that uh, they can, people can present at A&E and also not to be scared to do that. Um, you can turn up at A&E and you'll be entirely in a separate uh situation from people who have or are suspected to have the virus, uh, have COVID. So so people should be attending A&E if, if they've got a, a serious wound or something that needs immediate attention. It's just like a double whammy though, isn't it? Like It's normally really difficult for people to get the kind of courage to attend A&E in normal circumstances when we're talking about stigma and how people feel they'll be treated if they do attend health services. Um, so yeah, it's, that on top of uh, COVID is probably just even more difficult oh, for people to even think about the idea yeah. of going. Although I do hear that they're very quiet compared to normal, so maybe just glad to see somebody. That'd be nice to think so. Yeah, Kirsten, I was just going to agree with you um, talking about stigma and, and how we know that people are definitely reluctant amongst people who use drugs to access um, A&E or, or 111 or even their GP and how this is just an extra barrier during this time. Is there anything else, Sophie, that you think is really important to get mentioned just on this particular topic of? Um, I think that the nicest thing to come out of the, the database or this national sort of reporting is that we're all starting to talk and, and look at what gaps there are in services. And I think coming into this uh, field and previously working in the NHS, I've always been very much aware that there's been a disconnect between NHS and third sector organisations. And I've been quite passionate about pulling them both together. 
Um, especially when we're looking at one individual or a group of individuals and how it's better if we all work together. And I quite like how the spreadsheet or the national databases has got people looking at what other services are doing and starting a conversation because you can go into your local area, you can see Fife and you can see what NHS services are doing in terms of their opening times and you can see where the third sectors are plugging the gaps or not and then you can quite easily um, and see what's happening. And I think that's really nice and it would be nice to think that after this we can take away from this that we can maybe use that format so that people stay up to date with what's going on and so there's not areas that are being missed out or there's not a service that's maybe disappeared and there's nothing came to replace it and I think that's quite a good thing to look at as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the, the catch-ons with that is to think of, instead of thinking the third sector as an add-on or something, an annex to, to, to the work, is to realise it's a, a system and that all the services are essential services essentially. So, you know, they, they all have priority and have to work together. And actually what's happened in the past is, is people that are using the service have made them work together or made them work for them by navigating their way around them. But if the services themselves were cooperating, and, and actually it's not a question of being adversarial, it's, it's actually that they, in the past there hasn't been enough communication for people to know exactly what it is that is on offer uh, and how they can complement each other. That's a good point. So let's take the gloom out of COVID and make it a positive afterwards, I think. That's, that, that's the first symptom, being positive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always the optimist. <laughs> Your cough will arrive tomorrow. <laughs> well, we'll leave it on that optimistic note then uh, and uh, and say thank you very much to Sophie for, uh, for coming along uh, this afternoon, uh, even though it you're just staying in your house uh, but thank you very much for attending anyway yeah Sophie I think um, sorry Andy I think Sophie it would be great uh, in a future episode as well to get you on to talk more about wounds and wound care um, especially if we're uh, going to be launching the e-learning on that because it's it's a really topical issue as well so thanks very much as well for you guys for listening at home uh, or wherever you are um, if you enjoyed the podcast please make sure you give it a rating uh, and also share it with anyone else that you think might find it useful uh, until next time we'll see you then. Bye.